0: Our message today is called Rising Faith, March 23rd. In fact, while we're talking about rising faith, stand up, Gabriel. Gabriel's birthday was on the 21st. If Gabe were an Israelite, and he's not, he's a pork-eating Gentile, It would be his bar mitzvah. The time period where he's accountable for his own life because he can read and understand the word. Is that an important time? The Stevens have hit a new mile marker in our home. Both our boys are teenagers now. Can we take a minute to do something? Can we pray for Gabriel? Brother Triester, would you come put your hands on my son and pray for him? Church, would y'all stretch forward your hands and uh, and pray for him. You're all invited to my house today at any time you'd like to come. We don't do presents and those kind of things, but we are going to get together and eat. That's what we do best and celebrate Gabriel's birthday. If you're going to lunch somewhere and you'd like to come after that, that's just fine. Anytime. I like to spend time with you. Amen. Amen. Pray for him, Brother Triester. Hallelujah. we oh, Thank you. We thank you for what his life stands for, God. we thank you because of the incorruptible word that's in him, Lord. His life will never be the same. Lord, we ask that his life will begin to burn brightly for you, Jesus. He'd be one of these young men that grows up to change the world and turn it upside down. Amen. In the name of Jesus, Amen. we thank you for him. Father, I Hallelujah. thank you for my son. Gabriel, the Lord says that you are a lion's cub that he has put your foot on the neck of the enemy. And I give you this warning, my son. The Lord says feelings of personal injustice are in Achilles' heel. But the Lord says he will teach you to turn those feelings of injustice towards the lost and towards the hurting, and you shall be a champion for the Lord. The Lord will put his spirit in you and his word in your mouth, And the Lord says, you shall deliver the justice of the living God to many, that your feet will step across country lines, across boundaries on a map, and you shall deliver people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Let zeal for the house of God consume you, son. Let it consume you. Let your heart be filled with a desire for justice for the nations, and the living God shall use you even as a man uses his favorite tool in his hand. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know. How many of you are new here? Yeah, well, this will get... All I can say is we don't follow a program, and uh, I told you we're going to preach about rising faith, but we'll talk to you about some other things first. Um, From time to time, somebody in the faith moves on from our church to go do great things. We're excited about that. We do our best to lay our hands on them, send them out with a blessing to try to support their work in prayer, in faith, and even financially. And you can see examples of that in Submission Ministries. You can see examples of that in The Arising Church in Chicago. Every once in a while, somebody moves on from our fellowship without uh, that kind of blessing because they left in a way that was avoiding uh, accountability, avoiding growth. The best way I know to do this is to just say things publicly. There is nobody in the state of Texas that has been barred from coming to our fellowship in the last five years. There are two men that both did something so indecent before that that they are no longer welcomed in our fellowship. That is so rare that we believe it is uh, something only referred to in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we dealt with it publicly and have never had another issue with it. So if you are contacted by someone and they feel as if they cannot return, encourage them. They are welcome here. We pray for brothers that are not doing well and are not in our midst, Our heart is for them. It's the devil that lies and says they're unwelcomed or unwanted. Let me just get it out there point blank. I love Dustin Darrington. Whether he does good or doesn't do good, I love him. He's like a son to me. I have had him live in my home. He's lived in some of your homes. When I met him, he was living in a car, and I taught him to be a child of God, and I miss him, and I love him. He has an open door to walk back in here anytime he would like to, That's up to Dustin. I feel the same way about Joel. Exactly the same way. He's like a son. And I pray that he walks back through these doors. I feel the same way about Jacob Atkinson. If you are tempted to believe that when someone walks out of here, that they are no longer related to us, no longer our, our brothers, no longer our fellowship. You're wrong. Someone does not become an enemy of Christ or an enemy of the body of Christ because they walk out the door. What they're doing, though, very often puts them in a place that's difficult for God to bless. Please don't confuse my lack of approval for everything someone does with a lack of love for them or a lack of desire to see them do good. Recently, we've had a rash of phone calls from brothers that refuse to do what is right, And they want a blessing for it. Well, they have our blessing. They have a blessing that says, when you do good, you will be accepted. When you walk with God, you'll be accepted. The day you step into a door and say, I'm sorry, I'm in love with Jesus and I want to do better today than I did yesterday, you are accepted, no questions asked. This is not a fellowship that looks to disfellowship people. (laughs) Our goal is to finish the race with more than we started. Our goal... It's to see people restored. But any good father, any good family sets boundaries that are immovable. You don't cease to be a son when you break those boundaries. You just cease to have the blessing of your father, okay? I'm telling you these things so that we don't end up with a marketing campaign outside of the church that is like Absalom at the city gates. I need you to understand my heart my heart is not to be against any human being. I came to Texas in the hope to see all of Texas saved. I came to Sugarland with the sincere, ardent belief that I hold today that we can reach every single life and see it change for the glory of God. Amen. What I will not do is pretend that sin is okay. i won't do it for you i won't do it for my closest companions i won't do it. For anyone, because the King of Kings is worthy of a righteous servant. Can you say amen to that? Amen. If what you're hearing me say is running down someone, you are missing the point. I'm saying lift them up in prayer, love them, embrace them, but do not give approval to things that you know are wrong. Is that fair enough? Yeah. Can we be mature enough in the body of Christ? To say things that others will not say from a pulpit, yeah. deal with issues publicly that others will not deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Can I show you something? This was our first newsletter. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. This is uh, from January 15th, 2004. Yeah, I don't know what to say. We were younger and better looking then. You guys came to us when we became corpulent and uh, jolly. In the top left-hand corner of this, there's a reminder. Our very first newsletter, it says, we must possess a faith that rises to meet the challenges of life in order to complete the task assigned to us by the king. I had no idea just how prophetic that was. I had no idea the level to which our faith would have to rise to meet the challenges. I didn't know that we would face cancer many times. I didn't know that we would know what it was to have a death sentence be issued to our loved ones and have to stand in the gap until we fought and saw them win. I didn't know what it was to have to fight for a building, to be... I didn't know what it was going to take I simply knew that we had to possess a real and genuine faith. I'm happy to say that 10 years later, that faith is still strong and it's growing. At this time, down in the left-hand column, it says Matthew and Cassidy Pirro are taking steps of faith to join us in our struggle to advance the kingdom. Matthew and Cassidy Pirro have been with us almost 10 years advancing the kingdom. I'm encouraging you about these things because yesterday's mountains are like hills today. We don't have to struggle anymore in faith to wonder whether or not Matthew and Cassidy can make the step across state lines because it's been done. Having done things, we should be encouraged as we move forward. I looked out this morning and I saw the whole Hall clan back there. When I came to Texas, none of them were here. Y'all can thank me later for the transplant. They say, if you don't know where a man's from, don't ask him and embarrass him. If he's from Texas, he'll tell you. (laughs) They got here as fast as they could. But when I looked out and saw the whole clan, I remembered a newsletter. I want to read you something from the newsletter. It said, the week we incorporated and officially began receiving an offering from a small number of believers meeting in our living room, I received a $15,000 pay cut from my secular employer. Later the same week, one of the women in the fellowship was diagnosed with coleostasis of pregnancy. That was Jennifer Hall, David Hall's wife. Her liver enzymes were three times that of any normal person's. The immediate opposition was a visceral reaction from the enemy and was compounded by the fact that the condition greatly affected the health of the mother and the life of the child in question. That child is Bethany Hall, and she's here today in the name of Jesus. Our very first service as an official legal entity was attended by the mother whose skin had turned pale yellow and begun to itch she was receiving reports that her child probably would not survive and at the very least would have severe disabilities and she got healed in that service oh yeah you can give god a hand clap here we stand and it's not 2004 anymore it's 2014 and Spencer McLean is in our midst today. Yes. Hallelujah! Yeah. We were told on a Wednesday night that baby Riley wasn't going to make it through the night. But she's home and safe today. Yeah. Glory Jesus! glory Jesus glory Jesus in the bottom right hand corner there's a picture of dedicating that baby today Bethany is what 10 years old Bethany stand up and raise your hand girl are y'all glad she's here Spencer, in the name of Jesus, we'll not only dedicate Riley, we'll celebrate her 10th birthday together, brother. I know what it is to be counted out. I know what it is to be pushed down. But you know what? I'm not missing that pay cut. I'm not missing those bad reports. I'm still glorying in what the Lord has done. Hear me, Michael, in the middle of a fight. Did y'all enjoy Michael's message Wednesday? You find out about the power of God in the middle of a fight. Church, we can't avoid the difficulties. What we do is we look in the face of those difficulties and we give a good laugh because we know our God is bigger. 2014. By the way, January fifteenth, two 2004, on the third page of the newsletter... It says, at the moment, we've purchased 15 of the 50 chairs God told us about. In the natural, this sounds ridiculous, since there's only about nine people who regularly attend. I think four of them were in my family. But real faith always borders on foolishness. I'm going to tell you the truth. I got a reckless faith. I have abandoned caution. In the name of Jesus, I have got a shameless audacity because I know my God. The kind of faith, Brent, that will sell a house that's almost paid for, that will leave a perfectly good job and go to a place where you don't know a person and live in a hotel. Are you glad they did, Adonis family? See, faith always bears fruit. You may not see it today, but it will come through in the name of Jesus. In this newsletter, we said that it was our endeavor to eventually build a website. Today, people are downloading messages from our website in Australia. They're doing it in the Netherlands. They're doing it in Africa. They're doing it all over the world, and this gospel is bearing fruit. But it started with just a couple people who had a ridiculous faith. I want to encourage you to join with the prophet Hosea. He said that there's a day coming when an inspired man will be considered a maniac. When the P-Ros finally showed up, this was us. Well, the P-Ros have multiplied, haven't they? Look how little Judah and Gabe were. Judah started preschool here. Gabriel learned to walk here. Church, give us 10 years and what kind of fruit will have spread around the world. I'm trying to encourage you that what you see today is not where we'll be in 10 years. But from my perspective, when I look and see where we've come from, I'm encouraged. I feel the power of God in our midst. This week, I received all kind of reports. I I heard crazy things that are barely worth reporting. Someone thinks that I beat them up. Yeah, how do you imagine that? There were four people at the meeting. None of them saw it. I was ninja fast, Joy. I snuck in there, strapped a physical assault on a man without anybody else there seeing it and manage to not leave a mark. The devil is a liar. He's a deceiver. And the longer you listen to him, the more what he has said feels true. But it doesn't make it true. You know what is truth? Truth is the word of God. Truth is those who take their stand on the word of God. You know, I'm not incredibly insulted. I'm really not. Because I'm used to the devil lying. It's what he does. Y'all remember how hard it was in Peru? Who went to Peru? Raise your hand. Anybody want to take the walk to fury right now? Oh, my goodness. Those hands went down quick. I'm just now recovering. I put on a good 40 pounds since then. (laughs) I got two texts the entire time I was in Peru, both from people influenced by demons And both while I was walking up a hill I did not think I could walk up and I would have laid down and quit had it not been for my brothers. Not just their encouragement, but if I didn't think they would turn and laugh that I couldn't do it, (laughs) I would have just quit. We need to sometimes notice that the enemy is attacking us because we've become dangerous. Listen, don't be a tool. Don't be a tool from the enemy. Don't do it. He's a puppet master, but you don't have to be his puppet. Instead, let us be an instrument in the hands of the living God. Let us be an instrument of righteousness. Can somebody say amen? So if I haven't made it abundantly clear, if some people are not here today, they are still welcome here. I love them the same way. I want you to love them the same way. We long for those who are not doing well to return. But I refuse to go wrong when things go wrong. I'm not doing it. And I encourage you not to do it either. This is high ground. Did you feel the presence of God in here today? I felt the presence of God. And you know what? That's the only affirmation I need. That's the only affirmation that is worth anything. All right. Let me tell you about the Jordan River. Is that okay? Yeah. In Hebrew, the Jordan River is Ha yarden It means the descender. This is because it begins up near Hermon and it goes all the way down to the Dead Sea. It begins and ends in Israel in the same way that salvation begins and ends in Israel. At flood stage, it can be a hundred feet across to one mile across. Somebody say that's a big difference? You know, so often we look at a problem that the Lord wants us to address and it seems 100 feet wide. You decide to address it and you walk up to it and good Lord, it has grown to 5,280 feet wide. This is because we have an enemy. And he doesn't give up his territory easily. Brent, we have to learn to fight with him. We have to learn to wrestle with him. We have to learn to take it to him in prayer. There's a book floating around our congregation called The Believer's Authority in Christ. That book is based on this book, and I love them both because we have heavenly authority to take it to the enemy in prayer. And what you put up with, what you tolerate, the enemy will take advantage of you in. But when you stand up in your faith and you learn to exert Holy Ghost power, then we get to take from the enemy. The Jordan was the site of Israel's worst failures. In Numbers 14, they refused to cross it and go into the promised land. But in Joshua 3, it's the site of their biggest successes. The Jordan River is so much like the cross of Christ. It is both your largest failure and your biggest victory all in the same day. If you came to the cross of Christ, then you had the sentence of death in your heart. You knew that you were an enemy of God, a monstrous sinner before a benevolent and righteous God, or you never came to the cross. But having come to the cross, you walk away, having crucified that nature and that desire. And you walk in the righteousness of God, which is victory. The Jordan River symbolizes many things in the Bible. Refusing to cross over it is a terrible thing. You have to understand that most people in life will look at the Jordan from a distance. They'll describe it, but they'll never get right up on it and have to cross it. Because to do so, you will have to wrestle with all the sin inside you. To do so, you will have to wrestle and ask God to give you victory and people would rather just claim the victory without ever getting close to the challenge. Most of what goes on in the church world are people that have read about the Jordan, people that have seen pictures of the Jordan, but they've never stood in the middle of it. For this reason, 76% of this nation say that they are Christians. But in the very same poll. 50% doubt that their neighbor is a Christian. What this amounts to is an awful lot of sparks but no fire. What this amounts to are an awful lot of people that have learned to talk the talk, but they have never learned to walk the walk. Turn with me to Joshua 3. Let's talk about crossing the Jordan and possessing an arising faith this morning. Say there when you were there... Have I completely weirded you out this morning? Well, it's still young. You never know what will happen. In the third chapter of Joshua, we come to what was really burdening my soul today in a good way. By the way, Michael's message from Wednesday is now online, an amazing message everybody should hear. Michael's not just fit to be a pastor. He also happens to be a good friend. Is life easier with some good friends? You'd be happy to know Israel was not expected to cross the Jordan alone. They had their brothers beside them. Climbing that mountain in Peru, I had JJ, I had Brent, I had Michael, I had Judah, I had Buddy Brasso all around me, and it made what seemed impossible suddenly possible. I want to pursue righteousness along with those who are pursuing righteousness. Amen? Look at you, brother. Say, we're going to pursue this together. Come on now. Say it again. We're going to do this thing. In the name of Jesus, nobody should have to walk alone. In the name of Jesus, nobody should be out in the cold alone. The spirit of the living God will draw you into fellowship with those who are in fellowship with him. If you find yourself alone, you need to examine your walk because this is not God's will for us. He sent them out in pairs of two. If you find yourself alone, there can only be one godly reason for it. He's illustrating to you the need for your brothers so that you'll appreciate them when they arrive. But there is no such thing as God's mercenary who goes Alone, It's an unbiblical concept and the reason that so many churches are crumbling, they got one name on the sign. We're supposed to do this as a body of believers and do it together. Pairs of righteous repopulating the earth with God's presence. Are y'all in the third chapter? Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. I want you to notice something. When you got up close to the Jordan, which is the cross, you didn't just go dive in and swim across. When you got up close to the Jordan, you camped out there. There are some things that are worth contemplating. Everybody says they want to follow Jesus, but very few actually follow him to the end. They follow him on the day he's feeding 5,000. They follow him on the day he's healing their sick relative. They follow him while it's convenient, and he's the king they think he ought to be. But they don't follow him in the places they don't want to go. They don't follow him in the places that are an ever-narrowing way. They say that they love the Lord, but they never counted the cost. Before you cross over the Jordan, you got to camp out for a minute. You need to contemplate it. Sometimes when we're witnessing the gospel, we want one shot and one kill. We want to look at Judah and say, Judah, do you know that you're a sinner? Well, I don't even really know what you're talking about. Have you ever broken a commandment, even just one? We begin working our sales pitch. He admitted to breaking a commandment. Then you're a sinner. Do you want to die? No, no, I I don't think I much do want to die. would you like help in this life and heaven in the next pray with me the problem is he has no idea what is required of him he has not camped out he's not contemplated the loss of his life for the glory of Christ he has no idea what we're asking of him when we take children and we christen them or baptize them into the faith while they're infants They have no, they never camped out. They never considered it. I love the idea of dedicating a child. But we make a foolish mistake to think you can make this decision for someone else. Paul wanted his nation saved to the point where he could have wished that he were cut off for them, but he could not make the choice for them. Didn't mean he didn't work night and day to present Jesus to them. And we should We need to allow people to camp out on the wrong side of the Jordan and contemplate crossing it. Are you praying for a relative this morning? Is there anybody in here who is yearning to see somebody saved? Give me a hand clap. Do you want to see people saved? Don't get discouraged that they're counting the cost. Nobody who embarks on this in a haphazard and foolish manner finishes it. Those who have been dealt with by the Spirit of God and understand what they need to be saved from and what they're being saved to, they have a chance to finish the race. Amen. Amen. You want to see why so many don't even get close? Maybe they didn't ever give it a serious start. See, when I came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, I burned my ships, friends. I left no attachments to the old life. I made my position so firm that it made my own relatives uncomfortable. I did that because I knew what was at stake and I knew the power of sin that had worked in me and how uncrucified it wanted to be. And now in the name of Jesus, I was going to bury that sinful nature. And I knew how hard it was. It had ruled me my entire life. I had to camp out for a minute and consider, and I came to the conclusion, I can't cross the Jordan without you, Lord. There's no way to do this. I've tried all my life, and all I've succeeded in doing is drowning again and again and again and drowning others. I can't do it. I need your help. I need your help more than your help. I kind of need you to to carry me through it. I'm willing, but if you don't do it, Lord, I can't can't save myself. Amen, praise God. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. When the presence of God is encouraging you to do something, you have to move from where you're at. It is not possible to please the Lord through faith while sitting on your salvation. The church of the living God has said, I'll pray about doing your will. The saints of the living God, however, get out there and do it. You know, I've got a lot of peers, and I love them. We started the race together 21 years ago, and some of them have been talking about doing something for the Lord for 21 years. It's not that they're not godly men. It's not that they're not called. It's that they've been talking about it for 21 years. If you're not willing to move out from your position, then let's be honest, you're still camped on the side of the Jordan. I'm done contemplating. I'm already swept up in the river of the Jordan. I lost my life in it and was found by Christ. I'm going to tell you, you can't sit and pray about what you know is wrong. You can't do it. You have to get out and do what you know is right. Come on, is there anybody out there that needs to take a step of righteousness? Is there an area in your life that you know what God has said and you've just been kind of, you know, trying to build some courage? Let's just admit we don't have it and ask God for it and then get to stepping. You know, get to, we have to move out when the Lord moves out. I know more men that got up to that Jordan just like in Numbers 14 and they have said, no, we won't do it. They felt the pressure from God. They felt the judgment of God. And after receiving the judgment of God, they said, okay, well, then I'll go do it. If you miss the moving of the Lord, don't think you can manipulate him. If God told you to do it yesterday, you may not be able to do what he's told you to do on Wednesday. Some of his commands are time sensitive. You know, the Bible even says today is the day of salvation. Praise God, every day I wake up, It's still today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Let's do it while it's called today. Amen. Verse 4. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. The walk of the gospel takes you on a journey that you have never been on before. If your testimony is that you were doing pretty good all by yourself and then you added a little Jesus to your life, understand it's not possible. The journey of the gospel is a way that you have never been before. And if you have been there before, you're still on your own way. You're not on the narrow way. We contemplate the journey, but when the Lord says move, we say yes, sir. And every day is a new an exciting adventure. We're looking sometimes to work hard for a day or two so we can coast for a week or two. Every day is somewhere you've never been before. There's no such thing as coasting. We live to work for our God. Anybody out there live to work for God? I live to work for him. Say, well, brother, you're in full-time ministry. Is there another kind? Anybody out there want to be a part-time minister? A part-time minister is a full-time liar. We either live for the Lord every day or we're not living for him at all. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. It's very clear that we follow the Lord. We do not get ahead of him. We don't tell him, this is what I'm going to do and now I'd like you to bless it. Young people, have you already found the person that you want to marry? The Lord hadn't told you to marry him, but you're pretty sure that you're going to and now you're asking the Lord to bless it. Husbands, have you found a job that you want and you've said, that's my job, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, Jesus. Now, Lord, would you bless me in the job I chose for myself? That makes God your servant, your little pocket genie, and you the master of your own universe. Those of us that are actually following Christ, what we do is we say, Lord, where would you like me to work? Lord, who would you want me to marry? And can I tell you, he never called you to marry anybody that you think is ugly. (laughs) You will love them. You will cherish them. They will love you. If your marriage is born in the heavens, then the heavens will sustain it and it will be heavenly. Amen. Amen. If you know the Stevens and you don't know we love each other, come see today. We will make you sick. We hold hands still. We hug still. We like to sit next to each other in the car. We still, after 21 years of marriage, believe that there is life and peace in it. If you're married to your old ball and chain, if all men are idiots and your husband is their king, I feel sorry for you. I don't know what you signed up for. Maybe it was Amway, but it was not Yahweh, not the way. Because those of us who are born of God, we are following the Lord's presence and he is leading us into good things. Come on, anybody believe there's good things ahead of us? Oh, glory, Jesus, I love you. On verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. Among you, what's required for God to do amazing things? I know, wait, wait, get that little app on your phone that you can confess to the Vatican. Then the Lord will do amazing things. No, subscribe to the Pope's Twitter feed. Then the Lord will do amazing things. (gasps) Give all your money to a televangelist who is probably sleeping with a secretary. Then the Lord will do amazing... We have bought into every idea except the one that the Bible prescribes. For God to do amazing things among you doesn't require you to be somebody's fool. It requires you to be consecrated to God. Now, let me ask you, Can anybody keep you from being consecrated to God? Can I pass a law against you being consecrated to God? Can I put you in a jail cell deep enough and dark enough to keep you from being consecrated to God? If I'm torturing you, can I keep you from being consecrated to God? See, this is completely within your control. And we don't like that. We would like to believe that the reason the Lord's not doing amazing things among us has something to do with everyone but us. When you're sold out for him, when you live for him, when you're yearning for him, when you will follow him, even if it means certain death, he will do amazing things among you. Matthew, you know me 20 years. How many times have I been in a life or death situation? But you know what? I'm still here. That's amazing things. You know? All you got to do is drive a truck or a motorcycle. How about a motorcycle in India? You know, last month I wrecked a motorcycle in the mountains of India in front of a bus (laughs) on a mountainside. (laughs) And in the name of Jesus, we laughed, dusted off, wiped away our blood, picked up the motorcycle, and drove the next 35 miles with a smile. The devil can't do anything to you. (laughs) You know, if you're in a fight and you're getting whooped on for a while, it's just so that you learn to rely upon the Spirit of God, not on yourself. It's in these fights we find out how big our God is. How many times we got to be told somebody's going to die and wake up the next day and they're alive before we stop believing the enemy? Amen. I'm going to tell you the truth. Even if we lose, we win. I mean, I believe in a resurrection of the dead. You know, I love what D.L. Moody said. One day you're going to read that Dwight L. Moody has died. Don't you believe it? I went up higher. I'm more alive now than ever before. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, if we consecrate ourselves, we will see amazing things. Look at verse 6 with me. Joshua said to the priest take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters. Go stand in the middle of the river. Now. I started this message showing you a newsletter from 10 years ago. And, you know, it's cute. (laughs) I mean, when you look back on it 10 years later, it's like, "Ah," they had a whole lot less kids that weren't as fat and the church was tiny. (laughs) (laughs) You know what it was to us, though? It was standing in the middle of the Jordan River. We stood in front of the whole world and said, we're going to start a church, and they laughed at us. We said, we're going to build out a garage and we're going to put 50 chairs in it. And they said, nobody can build out a garage and put chairs. that's not a church. Where's your steeple? Where's your stained glass? Where's all the people? (laughs) We went out and found crack addicts. We went out and found anybody that would listen. Turned out the crack addicts would listen and the relatives wouldn't. It's funny. But today... It's cute. I want you to understand that what feels life-threatening today, what is certainly going to sweep you away today, when you look back on it, God is so much bigger than it, it's cute. You know, it's hard to picture this with David and Goliath, but he stood in front of that giant Philistine, and the Philistine threatened him and insulted him and David says, you're, you're fighting with God here, buddy. But when he carried that Philistine's head to the coward who was a king, still got the head in his hands. If that had been 2014, we'd have little action figures made out of plastic with a head in the hand. And our kids would carry them around and they'd be cute. Now, I'm not downing the cuteness of our newsletter, Jennifer was pretty cute in that newsletter. What I'm trying to tell you is that what is vicious and monstrous and assaulting today later will be so small and insignificant. You're like, oh, you were trying to harm me. <laughs> That's cute, because our God is that much bigger than that. We're going to find out when they crossed this river. They took stones right out of the middle of the river. And they did that as a testimony to all the future generations that death passed them by and they now stand on the other side. Come on, Tara. What looks like is monstrous today. Someday will be cute. Put it in perspective, saints. I have an eternal perspective. And so, you know, a demonic email or two is cute. You know, lawsuit or two, Cute. You know, it's hard to even get my attention with those things now. The way you get my attention is when somebody's messing with you. That's less cute until after we've cut that giant's head off. The middle of the river is really what Michael's message was about. I want to remind you of a scripture in that message because it was worth repeating. This is Second Corinthians, and it is the first chapter and the ninth verse. Keep your finger in Joshua. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. How bad's your day been? (laughs) Sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope and he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Saints, there is no trial, there is no trouble that's come against you that the power of Christ cannot deliver you from. Where have you set your hope? When I camped out on the wrong side of the Jordan, you know what I was really getting straight where my hope was going to be set. I had to firmly find out that my hope had always been in my own arm, and my own arm had failed me every time. And so I was now going to serve a new master, and he would never let me down. I'm here 21 years later, and he has never let me down. Pick up with me in verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all of the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from among the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream, will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Is it okay if we laugh in church, Brenton? Brenton says it's okay. Sometimes there is a big steaming heap on either side of you. It is a flood of what the Bible calls dissipation. It is heaped up so high that you can't see anything to the left or the right, but you were never supposed to turn to the left or right. You're supposed to have your eyes on the narrow way. You're supposed to have your eyes on where God's presence and God's favor is. And if you get your eyes off the steaming heap... And on to the ark, you'll never be disappointed. Friends, sometimes the biggest whiners and complainers the world has ever known, the people that blame all of their problems on everyone else just got off the narrow way and they're swimming in the heap. They set out in faith and they shipwrecked it into a heap. They're a whole heap of trouble. And the only way back is to repent and turn away from the heap and get back on the narrow way. But it's available to everybody. It was your choice to get out of the narrow way, and it can be your choice to get back in the narrow way. What you can't do is hate those who refuse to leave the narrow way. Where will you be in 10 years? Oh, you may be in the United States, you may be in Brazil, you may be in China, but you better be on the narrow way. When things go wrong, friends, don't go with them. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage, all during harvest. If you want a harvest, the rivers you're going to cross are going to be at flood stage. Is that when you would choose to cross a river? Would you say, you know, I can't wait till the Mississippis overflowed its banks? How many people were so excited when Contrida came because they got a chance to cross the Mississippi? But of course it's at flood stage. It's when the odds are stacked the highest against God's people that we see God's power. If Pharaoh's not at your back and the Red Sea at your front, then it's probably not harvest time because you bring in the harvest when others see God in you while you stand in the middle of a fight. That's when people see the Lord. I know we've been lied to. We've been told they'll see our prosperity. They'll see our health and wealth. And they'll want the God we have. No, they already want that kind of idolatry. And they're chasing it in their own worldly way no matter what religious cloak they wrap it in. But the church of the living God is the one standing in the middle of the river. That's the church of the living God. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet, as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. They had to put their foot in the water, though, friends. We're usually asking God to split it in advance of our arrival because we don't want to face the monster. It doesn't work that way. You were born for adversity. You were born to face the trouble. And when you put your foot in it because God has gone ahead of you, God will back you up. I stood facing a $15,000 pay cut. I stood facing a woman sitting in my service itching her skin off and her baby was supposed to die. I stood with one crack addict and eight other non-addicted to drugs but addicted to sin people and said, we're going to start a church. And it wasn't until we put our hands on that mother that her skin changed to normal. What if we had just said, you know, stay home. We'll pray for you from a distance. Church, you cannot be scared for your faith to be assaulted. You cannot be scared to be put on the spot. Miracles happen when there's desperation. Desperation. It happens when Holy Ghost courage rises up inside you and you say, I may stand in the middle of this river, but I'm carrying a stone out the other side. Yeah, up. Today's struggle is encouragement to triumph in tomorrow's challenge. No. That's the way that this works so that I can look back on a newsletter from January of 2004, say, I'm still killing the same giants. There's just more of them. One of Brother Charlie's favorite passages in all the Bible is about Caleb. Caleb was ornery, strong, vigorous. At 40, he was ready to fight. At 80, he was ready to fight. Even his son-in-law in the book of Judges was ready to fight. At 80, he said, I'm just as strong now as I was then. Give me the land with the giants. I'll take those. Because once you develop a taste for killing giants, one's pretty much just like the next. The Russians have a saying, and we're about to learn it on a world scale. They say with food, your appetite grows. They just swallowed up Crimea, and I guarantee you that's not the end of it. I'm not going to talk about the weakness of our foreign policy because we're talking about Jesus today. I'm going to tell you, that you swallow a few giants and you start looking for the challenge. You know the few times, and they happen, when I'm depressed, when I'm down. It's when there's giants, but none of them are mine. I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs, feeling useless. You may not understand this now, but you get far enough down the road in the faith and your biggest struggle is Lord, I know I followed you then, but I hope you're not done with me yet because you see your brothers engaging in warfare all around you. But as you delegate and you encourage and you prop up, you go, is there still somebody I can cut the head off of, Lord? Be patient, it's coming. (laughs) Church, we're going to learn to join in the struggle with our brothers. We're going to learn that when the McLeans are embattled, every family in the church is embattled. Do I have any Hispanic brothers in here? Raise your hand if you... Thank you, Ray. We got one. Ray, how offended will you be if I make a Hispanic joke? Uh, Amen. (laughs) Amen. When you take on this bean, you get the whole burrito. (laughs) Friends, we're going to stick together. We don't rest on the side of the Jordan where we get our inheritance and not care what happens to the rest of the brothers. Do you know what my favorite part of this story is? We haven't even read it. Every single Israelite crossed. Every single Israelite. Oh, the will of God is that every person in this room would cross that Jordan. The will of God is that every person would take a stone out of the middle of the river and you'd dance around with it and say, I got it and nobody can take it from me. You know, I can't claim an extra biblical source. I often read the Jewish writings, but I haven't on this subject. I'm just going to surmise... The reason David carried that head around was because he intended to take it home and dig that stone out. <laughs> and I bet he carried it in his pocket for the rest of his life. Have mm. you ever met a sniper? Yes. Their families have bumper stickers on their car that say, God bless our troops, especially the snipers. Their families are proud of what they do that may be morbid to you, but in warfare, you're proud to do damage to the enemy. I pray that you live for the chance to mix it up for God, that you live for the chance to have your faith challenged so that it can prove genuine. Are you all proud of the McLeans? Yes. You know how you make a pastor? Pastor? You baptize him in difficulties. You know what makes an elder and his family strong? The number of rivers they've crossed in their lives. It gives everybody else around you courage. You can look through their family photo albums and you will hear story after story of the mighty river crossings because after a while it becomes a way of life for us. And that way of life is meant to encourage others who are doing it for the very first time. Pick up in verse 17. The priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. God's will is that every person in this room would cross your own Jordan. For some of you, it's the Jordan of salvation. For others, it's the Jordan of opposition. For others, it's the Jordan of healing or the Jordan of the next step in the faith, maybe the baptism in the Holy Ghost. But we all have to move out from our positions. I had planned to preach to you today about the census of God. We even have slides in the back about the six censuses of the Bible. But as we have found the favor of the Lord in the crossing of the Jordan, we're going to be disciplined to be obedient to that. I'm not here for a theological pursuit. I'm not here for an academic pursuit to raise up little intellectuals. Our goal here is to raise up men who have put their feet in the Jordan and find dry ground. Families who will take their stand with God, come out the (laughs) other side with a trophy of testimony that said, God did it in me and he can do it in you. Could y'all stand to your feet?